Hello, everyone. From beautiful Merced, located in the Central Valley of California, it is a beautiful day here. Thanks for being with me on this journey. Hey, you want to be boring and not connect with the sheep the Lord has called you to shepherd? Then walk up very first thing at the beginning of every message and simply say, open your Bibles and just read it. Or perhaps you could just give an exegetical lecture. Third, perhaps you could provide no application or simply say, hey, the Holy Spirit will show you what to do with that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're in part two of how to not be a boring preacher, and I hope you don't do either one of those three. So before you bring me up on a level two heresy charge, just remember where we are. We are in the beginning of a journey. Last time, I left you with uh, some suggestions to do two things. First, I suggested you write down the sentence, I teach people the Bible, and then put that sentence wherever you normally write messages or sermons or lessons, whatever you call it. Secondly, I suggested to not let yourself think you're finished with the message or sermon until you can write down the answer to one critical question. Do you remember what it is? So what? Did that make you think when you did that? Did it cause you to change how you preach or maybe even how you prepare? Have you ever thought about the Bible? I don't, I don't mean those things like it's Hebrew in the Old Testament, it's Greek in the New Testament, and there's a smattering of, of Aramaic there in the Old Testament with it. I mean, I mean, have you ever thought about the Bible in practical terms? For example, here, here's three examples. Have you ever thought about why did God put in there what he put in there? Why did God put what he put in there? He left out a lot. He, he left out so much. So why is what's there, there? I mean, there are some strange things in the Bible. You got some floating axe heads. You've got, you know, a, a godly man who ends up sleeping with his servant and has this child. You've got raising of the dead, you've got miracles. Why are those things there? But then some other things are missing, things that I think are pretty important, but you know, God didn't ask me, but like, he didn't tell us how he created. He didn't tell us how we are to run a local congregation. He sure didn't get into how we're supposed to run churches that today are multiple times larger than the congregations the Apostle Paul was dealing with. He didn't tell us all that, but he put certain things in there. Why are those things there? Second, why did he arrange it the way he arranged it? I don't mean canonical order, okay? Canonical order was largely an issue of tradition. But most of the Bible is presented in narrative. It's stories. The bulk of the Old Testament certainly is narrative, but a lot of the New Testament is too. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, they're all narrative. Jesus himself mostly taught using parables, stories, illustrations. Why did God the Holy Spirit arrange this content this way? Why didn't he present the scriptures as a systematic theology textbook 
that told us, this is how you're supposed to do this. This is how you're not. Now, some of that's in there too. Don't get me wrong. There are parts of that in there. The book of Leviticus is largely that way. There are parts of the New Testament, parts of Romans, a lot of the epistles, they're presented that way. But the bulk of it is not arranged that way. So why did he arrange it the way he arranged it? Third, this one's going to blow your mind. This one, this one racks my head, okay? Why does the Bible show us humanity instead of just showing us God? The Bible shows us humanity in incredible, flawed nature, okay? I mean, Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel, Abraham, Sarah, Joseph, Saul, David, Solomon, Josiah, Joseph, Mary, Peter, James, John, Paul. The list can go on and on and on. And the Bible shows us humanity instead of simply just showing us God. Maybe that relates to the second question. You know, why didn't God just make 90% of the Scripture, you know, the nature of God? Instead, you have all of this Scripture that shows us humanity. Now, again, level two heresy, okay? Don't, don't start bringing me up on those charges, all right? I'm just saying that when God came down, he even came as a human, Jesus. God the Son in flesh was a human. Why does he show us humanity instead of just showing us God? Don't get me wrong. God is behind the scenes. God is working. Even in the book of Ruth, when God is not overtly and explicitly mentioned, he's still there. He's still working. His law is still in effect, no question. But I am convinced in large part the answer to these three questions, frankly, what I'm about to give you is a bit of a cop-out, okay? you got to wrestle through these yourself. But Psalm 103 verse 14 reminds us he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. He made us. He knows us. And he gave us stories, illustrations, parables, metaphors, symbols, images. He appealed to our senses, sight, smell, touch, hearing, taste. And if we as preachers of his message, want to be honest to the way he presented his message, why would we settle for anything else? Why are we content with bland theological lectures devoid of passion, emotion, and feeling? Why are we content to ignore the senses and the style that God has created in his word and has breathed into? He called it a living word. Why are we content to try to make it dead? We shouldn't be. And this brings us to today's application here in part two of how to not be a boring preacher. Because look, I'm like you. I was trained largely in a system that was cerebral, that was designed to transmit God's Word in the most boring way possible, but then tell it to people as if, well, I know this is boring, and I think this is boring, but because it's God's Word, you need to sit up and take notice. Instead of recognizing God never even taught us that way in Scripture, but we're asking something from our congregations that God never asked of us. Hmm. 
You, you can just say, just say amen right there in your car. You, you can say amen right there in your house or your office because, man, that's a good word. And you can keep that one free of charge and you can share that as if it's your own because it was given to me. All right. <laughs> but look, as we get into this application here, as we, as we start talking through this, there are some issues in our preparation not our presentation. We're going to get to that. But in our preparation, there are certain things that, that are going to have to change. We've got to prepare differently if we intend to actually present differently. And I bet you know some of these, okay? I'm not trying to tell you something I think you don't know. I'm trying to put it together for you in a way that it's been put together for me, all right? Here's the first suggestion for your preparation. Ask the text the basic journalistic questions, like literally get in a Word document and put who, what, when, where, why, how, and answer those questions based on the text. Whatever passage you are in, answer who, who's in there, who are the characters, what's going on, write it out. When does this happen? That's going to take some research. But knowing when that passage takes place is huge. Let me tell you what I mean. There's a difference between the Psalms that are written later in David's life versus the Psalms of ascent. They're different functions. When they're written makes a difference, okay? Was it post-exilic? Was it written by Moses, you know, right after the Exodus? There's a reason. When makes a difference? Okay, where is the action taking place? Why? Why is it going on? How is this happening? Ask those basic journalistic questions of the text. Next, and this one's tough, what's the problem the text is trying to solve? What's the problem the text is trying to solve? Again, go back to those questions that we ask of the Bible, okay? Why did God put this in here? Because there's a reason he put it in there. Of all the things he could have inspired the authors to write, he put that in there that you're studying in that passage. What's the problem the text is trying to solve? It's not just traveling music. Scripture doesn't have elevator music that's just kind of there in the background. There is a problem it's trying to solve. Write that problem down. And look, for my personal study, what I do is I literally write the words, the problem the text is showing us is and I write it out. Okay, what's the problem in the text? Third, find the tension of the text. Find the tension of the text. That's very closely related to the problem, okay, of the text. There's a tension. There's, there's something winding up. There's something going on there. There's something that, that has gotten the Holy Spirit frustrated, and now the Holy Spirit is working that through in humanity. You can really find that a lot in the Old Testament. It's why I love teaching from the Old Testament. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of watching the Holy Spirit work it out in spite of the sin of humanity. But find the tension of the text. Find how God wired the story up. Now, number four, where does this intersect the need or needs of humanity? Because remember, we teach people the Bible. God inspired the Holy Scriptures in a certain way. So we're going to ask ourselves, where does this intersect the needs of humanity? What is the need? How does this relate? What's the significance? If you've done your journalistic question, this is probably going to come out of that. 
Now, last one, number five. Find the topic behind the story. You might think of it as over the story. Find the topic. What, what's it talking about? Is it talking about life as a Christian? Is it talking about trusting the Lord? Is it talking about worship? Is it talking about the kingdom? What's the topic? Big, broad overview. Because that's going to come in handy later on when you're looking for other ideas and other scripture passages to bolster that up, okay? Knowing the topic helps you do your own cross-references, and you're not just limited to what Logos or whatever Bible software you're using is going to help you find it. You can find it yourself. Now, take this research and dig, dig, I mean really dig for what Haddon Robinson called the big idea. In Haddon Robinson's book, Biblical Preaching, which, by the way, I highly recommend you buy, you commit to memory. I reread this book a couple of times a year. It rocks my world. God has gifted this man so much, and he's in heaven now. But man, the legacy he's left behind through just this book and his students is remarkable. But, but Haddon Robinson's Biblical Preaching, he writes this, quote, a sermon should be a bullet, not buckshot. Each sermon is the explanation, interpretation, or application of a single dominant idea supported by other ideas, all drawn from one passage or several passages of Scripture. End quote. He calls that the big idea. Now, you might want to rewind this and listen to that one again, okay? And others have called this big idea a theme or a thesis or a central idea or a proposition, but the the same general point is true. You find the single overarching idea conveyed in the passage, and you can't call your preparation finished until you can write this big idea in one single sentence. It may be a long sentence. It may be complex, but it is a single sentence. Last time, I left you with these two things. I said, write down, I teach people the Bible, and put that wherever you normally write messages. Then secondly, I said, don't let yourself think you're finished with the sermon or with your preparation until you can write down the answer to one critical question. So what? Now, I want you to add this to your preparation. You must find the big idea. Those, those five points I gave you earlier, ask the journalistic questions, find the problem of the text, find the tension of the text, where does this intersect the needs of humanity and find the topic, all of that is designed to help you find the big idea. It's not going to be quick. It's going to take you some time. Okay? But it's worth it. And when your preparation is done, remember, we're not talking presentation yet. We're not talking about how you're going to say all this. We're talking preparation. But when you're done with that, you're going to have roughly two or three sentences at the end of your page, whether you handwrite it or you put it in, in a Word doc or a Google doc. You're going to have basically two or three sentences. One sentence is going to be your big idea. One sentence, big idea of the passage. Then you're going to have one or two sentences answering so what in concrete, tangible action steps. We're going to talk more about that a little bit later, okay? Not today. When your potential message is summarized in this two-minute explanation, then you might be ready to move on to presentation.
(laughs) One thing is for sure. You are well on your way to not being a boring preacher. Thanks again for joining me today. It's an honor to be able to talk to you in this format. Can't wait to talk to you next time as we get into part three of how not to be a boring preacher. God bless. Thank you.